Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes. I have some news. Do tell. We are 14 (laughs) days away. (laughs) We are 14 days away from Armageddon catastrophe. People dying in the streets. It's going to happen. Just give us two more weeks. I thought that was like two weeks ago. It's two more weeks. Shouldn't we be open open for business yet? Liz, why? Why? Why do you hate grandma? And <laughs> I know. I don't I understand this. People to die. Yeah. yeah. So um, another interesting week we are going to attempt to recap here on happy hour. <laughs> Which we've admitted the last few weeks is more like it's crusty hour. Now crusty. it's getting to just be like outrage hour because I know. it's getting just worse by the day. Absolutely. Well, you are in Virginia uh, and hold you on. are. Whoops. Let me. Gr- that's. Hold on. I am in Virginia. Whoops. I am in Virginia. Where? Did something where? happen? Did you get another? No. It, it was my mother yeah. calling. And I just muted it. So oh, okay. I'll have to call her back. She'll be fine. She's getting, I finally managed to get her some toilet paper, which is like not an easy feat. Like, I, <laughs> but that's another story. Right. Anyway, go ahead. Um, so you're in Virginia. So you are pretty much going to be trapped in your house until probably 2022. That's what it's looking like. But if we can just save one life, Julie. That's right. Just one. <laughs> just one. One of we our. We are. We are. Um, it's pretty strict. But I've seen. I've seen stricter. So I don't know how severely they're enforcing the new fascism that they hate when it's Trump, but love when it's them. So I don't. I haven't, it seems like it's a little lax right now, but anything can happen. I've seen people walking outside. I've seen people walking without masks, although less, fewer and fewer. And I actually saw some people in a park that were at a picnic table with like, there were two people and they appeared to be having a good time and having a picnic. What? So I know I called, I, ca- I called the hotline <laughs> immediately. I was like, excuse me, there's a little bit too much happiness and um, fun happening at this park. I gave the address. I gave descriptions. I took pictures. I sent it to our over overlords. <laughs> Why didn't you co- just make a citizen arrest? I should have gone in and be like, hi, um, don't come any closer, but I'm making a sit, get down, get down, put your hands up and stay there. <laughs> Stay there. I'm putting you into the cell and into the social distancing jail and there's no bail for you. And your your perp walk will be six feet apart from each other. It's going to be it's going to take a long time. The perp walk. Let's just say that it's going to be distanced. So, yes. Yeah. So lots to cover today as this situation evolves. Uh, Once again, we start our show we record on Thursdays when the Labor Department usually uh, is, releases their jobless numbers. And today's report came in 
unfortunately lower than last week. Only 5.5 million uh, filed for unemployment claims. So um, we're definitely uh, seeing the light at the end of that tunnel. Are so, we are we are we bending yeah. the curve on the unemployment numbers? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't. I couldn't help it. It's too 14 easy. More 14 more days till we have what 50 million unemployed, maybe 40. <clears throat> okay. Great. So, of course, that's always disheartening. But we are starting to see some uh, rebels come out and challenge this ridiculous, mostly unjustified lockdown, especially outside of the perimeter of New York City. Um, And so there was big protest yesterday in Lansing, Michigan, where it looked like tens of at least thousands, several thousand Michiganders. traveled to Lansing to protest the Wicked Witch of the Midwest, uh, Gretchen Whitmer's uh, totalitarian tactics to try to get rid of a virus, which isn't going to get rid of. So what are your thoughts on that? You know, I think that people would be okay with certain restrictions that obviously would reduce the transmission and spread of the Chinese virus. So telling people to be socially distant, to try to avoid large groups, probably the New York subway system, you want to avoid something like that, those kinds of situations. But when you tell people they can go into a Home Depot, but they can't go into the, they can't buy flooring or paint or gardening supplies. It just seems like that is crazy Mm. shit. I mean, that there's a limit to what you can expect people to do. And when, and it seems like some of these little proto tyrants, or I guess full blown tyrants now are just excited to exercise their authority without any regard for whether it's something that is effective. Like why can't you go drive your car into a church parking lot and listen to a sermon? If that's what you want, if you're in your car and then I think it's in Tennessee or Kentucky, they're taking license plates of people who go into their car in a parking lot to listen to like some church Easter sermon. Now, how is that in any way dangerous? This this is these people are overreaching and it's going to get even uglier if it keeps going that these kinds of restrictions Well, Liz, let's talk a little bit about this social distancing, which is a nice way to say solitary confinement for the innocent or house arrest. (laughs) So I looked into the CDC guidance. Now, it's important for our listeners and people everywhere to recall. These are guidelines crafted by careerist bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. that never got a full airing in Congress, right? There were no public hearings to explain or justify the six feet of social distancing. Um, Congress did could not ask questions of the people who put this together. They certainly never asked questions of Christopher Murray, who uh, made up all these scary charts about, you know, hundreds of thousands of deaths by the beginning of August because of the Wuhan flu. But more importantly, I took a look at the CDC guidelines guidance, and they are very ambiguous and vague about where the six feet originated from. There's really no scientific data. Actually, there's none. Um, 
for the six feet of distancing, let alone that that will prevent especially asymptomatic people from somehow transmitting it to other asymptomatic people. So, you know, apparently healthy people to healthy people. So I want to just read a a little bit from my piece today at American Greatness and Greatness.com, if I may. Please do. Where Liz often uh, has some really, of course, hilarious morning briefing every day. (laughs) So here's what the CDC says. Now, Also important to think about the last time that the CDC really got any major issue right, okay? These are the same people who told us for, what, 30 years to eat more carbs and less uh, protein, and who knows how many people have suffered and died because of that terrible advice. But let's look at this. So the CDC admits COVID-19 is a new disease, and we're still learning about how it spreads and the severity of illness it causes. So that's good, right? So you would think from there... Maybe a little humility or a little uh, some rigor. How about some <laughs> rigor? <laughs> exactly. So you would think, okay, well, let's talk about what we do know because, of course, Liz, and you know this as some someone with an advanced scientific degree, it's way too early to take data from anywhere, especially from China, and deduce how this is transmitted, the its mortality rate a lot of the things that the experts are assuming. Wouldn't you agree that it's way too early to take that data, make sure it's reliable, test it enough to say this is how it's transmitted, this is how we try to prevent it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, how, what, this was very sudden, and <clears throat> it was introduced into our country in an acute condition. The, nobody has the time to go into the lab and start – conducting all of these tests. I mean, our healthcare system in certain places are just inundated. Uh, We don't know how accurately the information is being transmitted for for the record. We know that some of the, I don't know, the criteria they're using to determine someone was a victim of this disease seems kind of fast and loose. So no, we, we definitely do not, we are not in a place where we can start making a lot of of conclusions about this yet. And that's true. And and so this is why the CDC says, again, it is thought to be spread from person to person. And that means people who are in close contact with one another, about six feet, they don't specify people who are symptomatic or ill, et cetera. Through respiratory droplets produced when an infected person coughs, sneezes, or talks, Those, I'm going to try not to laugh, those droplets can land in the mouths or noses of people who are nearby or possibly be inhaled into the lungs. Yeah, I don't, I'm not picturing that, how that happens in my head. I don't know. I'm just saying. Um, Yes. So there's a lot of could some people without symptoms may be able to spread the virus. So you could see where this is going, right? Now, if you were, say, in a college science class or, God forbid, trying to get some kind of advanced degree in medicine or science, and you produced and you wrote what the CDC has in their social distancing guidelines, you would probably get a failing grade from your professor because it's so vague and nonspecific. And furthermore, there are no links to any scientific studies throughout all of the guidance to back up the claims that they're making. Well, again, like they, 
they will they do admit, although not at the same time as they're issuing directives, that they don't really know a lot about this virus. And then at the same time or shortly thereafter, we get a bunch of sort of commandments that are based on some kind of authority, even though, again, they say, well, we don't we don't really know exactly. We know it's transmitted human to human. We don't know. I, I've heard people say, oh, it's so contagious. Well, wait a minute. How do you how do we know that? Right. We don't know that yet. I'm no. not saying it's obviously contagious. The question is, is it very contagious? Is it more or less contagious as the flu? And I, I mean, it might be. I don't know. But also, I don't know. So we know that um, looking at some of the hot spots and breakout and, you know, large numbers of fatalities or people who have caught the virus, they're in enclosed places. You, we have the cruise ship people. We, mm-hmm. we keep seeing nursing homes that are just, and those poor people are hostages. So right. we have we have a bad hotspot in a nursing home here in Richmond in Virginia. You've got what happened in Washington. I'm sure there's more. You have that processing plant in South Dakota where a bunch of people there tested positive. So we know that it has something to do with density and proximity for extended periods of time, not just walking by someone in the market, but working in next to someone spaces, right? <laughs> over and over, being in a confined space with them for long periods of time. But that's about that's that's just one thing. And it certainly doesn't indica- indicate certainty that you're going to be in one grocery aisle and then three aisles down in the spice aisle. Someone's going to sneeze. Maybe they're a secret super spreader. You're going to breathe in at the wrong time and bam, you're, you're out. You're done. You got it. We just don't know. We don't know yet. There are some early studies. And again, it, I think it's fair to say that it's too early, even for early studies to be uh, verified, but there are some emerging studies coming out, um, that indicate that, yes, the close contact for a prolonged amount of time is what poses the greatest risk. And so I think there was a study, I'm, I'm trying to find it now, that just came out a day or so ago about um, uh, uh, Chinese people who are infected in, uh, in an area of China. It might even be Wuhan. And I'm sorry, I can't find it right here. But um, how... Uh, the overwhelming majority of the people who were infected, yes, lived together with other infected people. They shared it among themselves, and that's how they got it. Not unlike you would see clusters of the flu in certain schools, right, in certain families, households. I mean, why do entire families get sick over the holidays? Because somebody comes home from school, someone comes home from college, everybody's together for a long period of time. And then what do you know? You hear this all the time around Christmas time. Oh, the whole family was sick with this flu or with that cold or whatever. Not cold as virus. But so that is what makes starts to kind of back up the idea that this acts more like a usual virus, a flu-like virus than something that's far more virulent. Right. But we're not we're not really getting the whole story. And and we're definitely getting information designed to elicit a certain behavioral response out of the public, which is they want to scare the shit out of all of us. And it and it works. I mean, people are scared. Oh, yeah. And they they want to scare people into into compliance. 
so that, you know, anytime you have to go somewhere, let's say we had to go to the drugstore yesterday to pick up a prescription that that we can't get that delivered. You can't get your drugs delivered, um, your prescriptions delivered that I know of. And so that's that's like a big production, you know, it, because, well, I mean, I'm 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 conscientious about it. I mean, I don't want to get this. I don't think, oh, whatever. Who cares? I I I mean, but it's a big deal. And there's lines on the floor saying how close you can be to somebody when you're waiting to check out. But they definitely want to frighten people into certain amount of compliance because a lot of people are are wondering, well, it's not bad where I live, so why do I have to shut everything down? Um, it's certainly most places aren't New York. So, thank God. Um, well, right, but New York is in, in a very special situation. Like we just were talking about this, this the population density issue. In addition to having numerous multifamily dwellings, um, that that subway system has got to be just the most contaminated, <laughs> you know, location. How many people are on? on and off that subway all day long over and over and over again, putting their hands on, holding on to something with their hands, touching right. things. I mean, it's, it's, but that's not most other places, but still the public line is to scare you. It's to frighten you into compliance. And it's scary uh, how far some of this, like I said, I think people are okay with um, obvious things wash your hands, um, that kind of thing. But then all of a sudden we're at, you can't buy paint in the Home Depot now. You know, it's gone from, from one right. to a thousand. I mean, right. wash your hands is like we tell people all the time with the flu, wash your hands, <clears throat> be, you know. Um, you're sick, stay home. Yeah, if throw your Kleenex you away sick, in the garbage. Home. Right. Yeah, exactly. But now we're like, you can't have a picnic and you can't buy paint. You can't go outside. You can't ride your bike. I mean, this, this is all just, just stupid. It's stupid. Well, and here's a little, here's a more unconvincing defense of the six feet apart uh, rule that was published in the New York Times. Um, this is from Dr. Harvey Feinberg, who is the head of the Standing Committee on Emerging Infectious Diseases and 21st Century Health Threats at the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. So this is uh, an institution that really does, I mean, when I covered some scientific issues like agricultural biotechnology, this institution did some really solid work. But here is Dr. Feinberg's uh, defense of the six foot rule. Three feet is better than nothing. Six feet is better than three feet. At that point, the larger drops have pretty much fallen down. Maybe if you're out of spitting range, that could be even safer, but six feet is a pretty good number. Now you okay. have one of the leading okay. scientists, experts, I put it in air quotes, experts at a prestigious scientific institution. And that is the best he can do in trying to tell us why we're standing six feet apart outside of Walmart and why grandmothers can't hug their grandchildren and why people are dying alone in hospitals. That's well, it. I, <clears throat> I wonder you know, what is it about these molecules that have the virus in them that allow them to sort of stay, stay suspended? You, right. They're I mean, that's, 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 that's what they're saying is that there's, 
they, are they immune to like a gravity? Are they super light so that they float instead of fall to the ground? I it I think they're like drone droplets. <laughs> they can sense your vulnerability and they immediately just motor themselves right into your nostrils. So like little bees or whatever, like mechanical bees that just are like, there's a nose, I'm going to get in it. And then it just targets. I mean, now that's nose. the research study I could dig. That would be interesting. I wonder when this is, when, when we're past this acute crisis stage, which will not happen until Trump's out of office, either in November or in four more years. Um, when we do get some research, I wonder if they're going to kind of cover up for a lot of the crazy stuff that we've been ex- we've been told and expected to swallow. You know, looking back, I mean, are there going to be tests that say, oh, yes, this is a special virus. It flies. It's self-aware. It, you know, it wants to go into noses and mouths. I mean, are, are they going to keep that going or are we going to get an actual analysis that's accurate? I mean, as somebody who's covered climate science for several years, I will say that no, never. that reckoning <laughs> never. will never happen. And the fact that Chris Murray, who um, produced what I call the Murray dossier, which is just the latest installment of a series of charts instead of memos that make all kinds of scary predictions and assessments about this disease. The fact that that guy is still showing his face instead of cowering in a corner in utter humiliation at what he's caused the country to do, um, that his models completely blew up. Um, he continues to change them based on new information. But the fact is, the first set of uh, predictions never should have been made because he had no data to prove it. And he had no way of going through any kind of peer review cycle before he churned out those charts, sent them over to his friend, Deborah Burks. She put him in front of the president the last weekend of March. And here we are, um, you know, three weeks later under house arrest and, you know, just our economy being destroyed and our liberties and freedoms being stripped away from us. So why is the media like, why isn't the media chasing this guy down and calling him to account? You know, it's like, he just gets a pass. He, whatever, every couple of days he revises it. Everyone's cool with that. And we just move along forward. I mean, it, it's, it is pretty astonishing that this is going to get a pass. And it's just astonishing. The only way he might not get a pass is if the left and, say, the New York Times and the media figures out a way to turn this on Trump, which they could, because they could say this Chris Murray model was never legit to begin with, that the president and his advisors never should have accepted it. And why did they listen to this scientist who no one had heard of before? and take his information as gospel and use it to trash the economy. If somebody could figure that out at the New York Times or CNN or Washington Post, then that would be the only hope that we have of exposing uh, this fraudulent model and um, now uh, discredited scientist Chris Murray. Well, who knows what could um, come out during the inevitable congressional hearings 
that we're going to have. I mean, whenever I look at one of these press conferences, I wonder, you know, Fauci, Burks, are they going to be sitting in the room at the table with the little nameplate in front of them and then getting, you know, getting sort of like forced into saying, I told the president these models were crazy, but he told me to shut up and that we need to, you know, <laughs> we need to use them. I mean, that's that's one way that right. it will be um, that it will be put put in on on the record but i i don't i don't see it i don't see that happening and people are intimidated by science they say oh yes, well this guy are. with a lot of letters behind his name and he has a model and he says two million people are going to die and right. so they're they're petrified that you know if you're not in a hot spot or near a hot spot and your hospitals aren't getting overwhelmed then why are you why don't you want to go out and go about your business anymore but it, right but right. people are so terrified the scientists are telling them and the model says that people are going to die and you know if this ends too soon julie we'll just we'll it'll just start all over again just going to start all over again that's that's the line we're being fed well you still and you see this with people who otherwise i thought were rational people on the right who've completely lost their shit over this and there is something called as you know, confirmation bias. And that is that people people started to believe, and people who we know and trust, started to believe that what was happening in Northern Italy would be replicated here across the country, right? And so those images, those storylines really alarmed a lot of people, setting aside the fact that we didn't know the circumstances, obviously, healthcare system in northern Italy is not anywhere close to what we have here. It's completely different comparing apples and oranges. But people believed early on that that was going to happen here. So then you, what comes along is the Imperial College model from Neil Ferguson, quickly followed up by this um, model at the University of Washington, the Gates Foundation, um, IHME model from Christopher Murray. It all starts to make sense to somebody who thinks that this is our fate. Um, and so it's very hard for those people, any of them now to socially distance themselves from these bogus models. And um, so, I mean, it is human nature. People look for evidence to support whatever they think emotionally. Well, but they were led to believe that they were let that yeah. they were led to believe that. What happened in Italy and what happened in Wuhan, it was exactly going to come here. That's right. Ex exactly. They were led to to believe this by the media who and the Democrats who have an interest in destroying the economy and, um, you know, making fabricating a situation where they can make Trump look like he's responsible or derelict. And so people they were selling that to people. They were showing pictures of just people dying in the streets in China and terrible right. stories coming out of Italy. They're still doing it. That's mm -hmm. why people are terrified. The media, it's like a, it's like watching a snuff show or like an actual like violent murder. They are writing story after story about horrifying, tragic stories to, to scare people into compliance and because they think it helps it helps the left and it hurts Trump because they want to say this is all Trump's fault um, because he didn't do, I don't know, whatever, even though nobody else really knew what was going on at this time. He was supposed to somehow know. Um, but that is why people are 
think think that we are going to have a full blown, you know, health crisis on every block because that's what the media is selling them. And a couple of points there, Liz, and we've talked about this on previous um, shows, and I still think that there's data to support that this virus went through the country already largely between December through February. Maybe there was another little peak. Maybe it's been maybe it just never really went away in New York City because Andrew Cuomo had to issue an emergency declaration in early January because the healthcare system in New York was being so overrun with flu patients. If you look up anything related to the 2019-2020 flu season, the one word that pops up in most of the articles is unusual. How early it started, how virulent it was. Um, there are states who had emergency rooms that were overrun. They had to set up cots and beds outside. If they, this is one article I'm going to be working on for the future. But this was a highly unusual flu season because it started so early. The B strain, which usually shows up towards the end of the season, showed up first. Um, and so there are a lot of pieces that still need to be put together in terms of what actually was happening in December through mid-February. Was it really the flu or was it the flu and uh, coronavirus? Because, of course, you can be co-infected. There's some research coming out about that, too. It's slim, but there still are cases of people being infected with both. And so I think that there's still a lot that we need to learn. But here's the thing, Liz. This virus isn't going anywhere. In the whole history of the United States, four, vi- four diseases have been basically eliminated. And we know that smallpox, which has been eliminated around the world, um, mumps, uh, the measles, excuse me, measles and rubella and um, where's the other one? Well, we know polio as well and polio. Um, this virus isn't going anywhere. Right. It's and it's probably already um, transforming itself into something either less lethal, maybe more powerful. But we can't. uh, The idea that to stop the virus is folly. And you even hear people like Fauci, Anthony Fauci, say that this virus is not going to be stopped. And so what do we do next to try to soften the blow to the healthcare system, protect vulnerable people, but at the same time, let healthy people go on with their lives because we have to. Um, The contact tracing, continued social distancing are all things to me, which are liberty crushing, privacy invading uh, measures that are not largely needed. Um, And so there's still a lot of open question based on sketchy data and just as you said, media-fueled hysteria that does nothing to advance where we need to be. No, I th- I, I agree with you. I think that um, we were led to believe when this started that all these efforts we were taking was to flatten the curve, to mitigate the stress on our hospital system and healthcare system. That's why we're doing this. We weren't doing this so like not one single person would die from it. We And not to minimize anyone's deaths, but oh. we were told that this was to lessen the strain on our healthcare system um, and our emergency system. That's what we, that's what we were told. So now it seems that very subtly 
this, the assumptions have been changed to be that we, we just can't have anybody catch this and die. Now, again, nobody wants to catch this and die. And I, 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 as I've said here before, you know, I have my mother, she's quarantined, she's not going out. She's got every possible comorbidity that makes her just a walking target. However, they're just like the flu. We, people do die from the flu. Mm -hmm. We don't lock everyone up so that nobody dies from the flu. So we need to get back to realizing what the purpose of was of this little exercise we just went through was shutting everything down. And then people need to be take responsibility for themselves. If you are vulnerable, if you are fragile, you need to take steps. If you have someone like that in your family, you need to help them stay, you know, stay safe or safer. Um, but that, but it, but there's no other alternative. I mean, we can't just keep locking everybody up forever. It makes no sense. Liz, what do you, there's just (laughs) deep suspicion in my mind after, and you and I have covered FISA gate and then the Mueller investigation. And we know to the extent and extremes that the anti-Trump crowd, particularly in the swamp uh, populating the federal bureaucracies in Washington will do to oust this president, right? Well, no, there's this is never, true. Absolutely. There's this, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So no, this not, this was a great opportunity for them to completely put the blame on Trump for something where, if you go back, it wasn't even that long ago, and you look at the sequence of events, you can see that really no, nobody knew how how serious this virus, the Chinese virus could be until we were hit with it here Um, because China withheld along with the world health organization, really critical information that would have made it easier for us to handle and perhaps lessen the fatalities and the death and the sickness that we, that we saw instead, this is being sold as something that's Trump's fault. And all of the news coverage of this mentions Trump downplayed it. Trump was, it didn't do anything about it. Trump was, you know, he didn't care. And it's kind of like, whenever you see somebody make a political charge like that, you have to ask yourself, why would they do that? Right? Like, what is the benefit for Trump to ignore a very serious, deadly contagion. And there really isn't any. It's all, it's only the kind of thing you would believe if you're so Trump deranged that you think he is in fact a psychopath who doesn't care that 2 million people will die. I mean, what's the effect of society on that when you start walking down the street and people just start dropping dead like we were seeing in China or allegedly we were seeing in China. So it's absolutely in the interest of the left and their media uh, accomplices to turn this around and drag it out and blame Trump and cover this as with one tragedy after the next talking about negligence and ignoring the, you know, ignoring evidence, ignoring warnings from unnamed anonymous sources. Um, Just, it's just so obvious and it's really disgusting because people are really scared. They are. And what we need is truth and we need an honest discussion and we need, we don't need this to be another political football to manipulate people. And that's exactly what it is. 
Well, and it looks like as we're talking, um, <clears throat> looks like Andrew Cuomo, who is really a person responsible for far more than Trump, for failing to prepare for this health outbreak, even as he his healthcare system was already overburdened with flu and just their usual uh, overburdened healthcare system to begin with. So he just announced at his presser today that um, the tri-state area, the New York pause, as he calls it, will continue until at least May 15th. Look, I am all I support the governors of every state taking responsibility for how their state handles this. This idea that we need to have like a national nanny is ridiculous. Well, every we, have, state, we have two. We already have well, two nannies. <laughs> that's true. Let if that if Cuomo wants to keep everything shut down, let him do it. Let him do it. And if other states think it's okay and they don't, they're not seeing, um, you know, a a a, an ep a sweeping disease crushing their their society, then open it up. But let the governors make that that call and let them own it. Nobody's holding Cuomo responsible for his go out, go see movies, touch people, go to right. Chinatown. Nobody's saying that Nancy Pelosi went to Chinatown. Remember, she came out and said, hey, everybody, go out, celebrate in San Francisco's Chinatown's uh, Lunar New Year at the end of January. Nobody's talking to her about that. So – Anyway, let the governors, let the states and the localities make the decision best for their circumstances. It's not one size fits all. So why don't you talk a little bit because you addressed this in your morning briefing yesterday and then maybe we'll try to move on to something interesting like Creepy Joe and um, how the New York <laughs> Times and the left is burying all of his just creepiness for the over the past 40 years. But um, why don't you talk about uh, Trump kind of talked the other day in his briefing about all of the masters of the universe of the country who he would be talking to, including governors, about how to hopefully reopen some states. He suggested that there would be some new updated guidelines coming out. And so but you had a good list in your morning briefing the other day of everyone Trump was going to be in contact with. Yeah, he's got a really long list of all of the titans of their respective industries, if you could say that. Um Amazon, you know, Jeff Bezos, everybody, it's broken down into tech, into different business industries. I mean, I don't want to read off the long, the long list here. It's kind of boring, but he's working with a lot of people to get suggestions. I believe today is when he is going to reveal the guidelines. And, and I think that that's exactly what he should do. He should come up with our little team of scientists and say, this is what we recommend. This is how we recommend you proceed. And then the ball is in your court. You know, you want to cancel picnics and you want to cancel birthday parties and churches. You you own it. You own it. And I think that that's um, coming today. But Trump has been working with different industries. He has conference calls all the time. I get his daily schedule. He's talking to all kinds of uh, industries. Actually, today he's having a meeting with the G7 leaders and a video conference. He's even talking. Well, he I think this is over, but he met with the rep House of Representatives or members of the House of Representatives also in the Senate. Um, he's meeting with truckers today. I think Trump is really doing this the best way that it can be done, which is that he's trying to work with actual business people and industry people about how we can get things up up and running and then giving the states and say, hey, this is what we suggest. 
and these are best practices. And if they don't want to do it, then fine. You know, I mean, I would suggest states start like travel refusals for some place. Like I would build a wall around New York or something like that, or New York and New Jersey at this point. Um, But Trump has been doing, I think I have to give him credit. I think he's doing what should be done. He's not being a king. He's not just saying, I'm coming up with these suggestions, but he's going directly to the different industries, which again, they have a different, they all have different circumstances as well that need to be taken into account. And so we'll see, we'll see how it goes. There's no reason that Wyoming needs to be shut down. You know, there's what, nine, 10 states that have hardly any, have hardly any cases. Why, why, why is their Walmart shut down or why are their movie theaters shut down? And the point is, and this is, I think Senator John Kennedy said this the other day. Um, people are going to continue to die because of this virus, either because of it or it complicates for the most. And this is the overwhelming majority of people who are already ill with some two or three other serious diseases. So not to discount that. There's a way to protect them. What you're talking about with nursing homes and also I think with hospitals, we're going to find out a lot more of that. I'm interested to see exactly what happened with Elmhurst Hospital. If these were really people coming in who were sick, if there has been an outbreak at that hospital for weeks um, that caused people who had been there for a while to die of of this disease. So, um, again, still a lot we don't know. But, um, yeah, so we have to, again, once things open up, you're going to find more cases. People are going to get sick. There, unfortunately, some people are going to die of this. But that's the grown-up approach to any kind of a disease, right? And so people need to accept that, say that, and deal with it because that's what happens with um viral diseases unfortunately there's there's something to be said for herd immunity and um you know my own completely unscientific um hypothesis is that there is some relationship to the amount of viral load that people are getting and how sick they get so if you are passively exposed to this do you get as sick as somebody who's been riding a subway, you know, for 45 minutes with a virus person breathing on you? Or, um, you know, if you've been confined to a ship or, God forbid, a nursing home where you're in proximity and you're touching things and your your medical devices have germs are, you know, have germs on them. You know, is there is is there a difference between that kind of ca- a casual exposure and a, a more repeated over and over again, long-term exposure. And if there is, then there's something to be said for developing a kind of herd immunity where somebody gets casually exposed to this and they develop antibodies and then they're in a, you know, they're, they're, I guess, immune or immune for a little while, or I don't know, immune long enough for a vaccine or something. I don't know. That's just, that's just one hypothesis that, you know, that might be worth, pursuing and speaks to why we should we should be opening up the the um you know our society 
Well, which all leads to the suspicion that this is all designed to continue to be prolonged. Large gatherings continue to be, and we see Fauci and others talking about this, no large sports events. You have mayors saying there's not going to be any large summer concerts, anything like that, which all will lead us to canceling the Democratic National Convention, which I think has already been moved up a month. Now they have justification to cancel it and keep candidate Max Headroom in his uh, library, you know, trying to read off of talking points and flubbing that up and forgetting what he's saying all the way what through to the debates where then suddenly the debates are canceled because it's too dangerous for people to attend or you have Trump and Biden on not standing next to each other, but teleconferencing in or zooming it, zoom debate or whatever, however you want to call it. It could be that deep fake. They could do a Joe Biden deep fake for the debate then. (laughs) Don't think they haven't thought about it. I mean, this is what is really alarming because you already see this about, um, you know, pushing for the right in or more mail-in ballots for the November elections and extending early voting. This is all could be all part of the strategy or at least exploiting this crisis. Well, oh, absolutely. There's, there's, there are all sorts of fantasies being floated right now about how to adjust our, our election. Um, so <laughs> that is definitely something to keep an eye on. And of course, we have evidence of that, right? Of they will do anything to influence election. We had more details coming out this week, which unfortunately, because of all this, I haven't had time to really um uh, dive into, but there's good coverage from, of course, Chuck Ross at the Daily Herald, at the Daily Caller. Um, Margo Catherine Cleveland Herridge. at the Federalist. She's done a good yeah. job. Margo and, uh, but Catherine Herridge, I believe, is the one who uh, who broke the story um, about, you know, what the FBI knew, what they buried, um, how deep Christopher Steele is with, I believe Chuck Ross reported he was tied to five Russian oligarchs. So we know he was repping Oleg Deripaska. We know that Glenn Simpson was repping Prevazan. Both were in trouble with the U.S. government at the time. Um, so there's all these Russian ties. So there's some dispute. I'm trying to follow up whether this is part of a Russian disinformation campaign or whether I think Lee Smith um, is the one who said, well, no, this wasn't really Russian disinformation. This was just Steele working with Clinton and just straight up making stuff up and lying. Um, and so that's well, they're th- trying to float. Some people are trying to float the idea that the FBI was tricked into yes. this. And it's like, <laughs> no, no, absolutely, absolutely not. I think the word is duped. Like the FBI was duped by these Russian smart spies. No, no, they weren't. And that needs to get how shut could, down how immediately. Could, how could a mastermind like Jim Comey be duped? Well, I mean, come on, he's like the smartest G-man of all time. All you have to do is take a look at the behavior of Clapper, Brennan, Comey, all the other posse involved in this, and look at their behavior after they left public service. They are unhinged anti-Trump freaks. It's not a jump to say, yes, they were they were involved in this, in trying to stop Trump and then trying to frame Trump. It's not like they just quietly retired into public, private life and are gardening or, well, socially distancing and gardening or whatever. They did not do that. They went on television. They made millions of dollars to showboat and grandstand and foam at the mouth every night on cable news, but how much they hate Trump. So 
is it is it weird to say that maybe they were involved in this? Uh, I don't think it's weird to say that at all. No, it's just the ongoing. And I think here's the frustrating part, Liz, and we've covered this extensively, right? The hard part of getting more ginned up and upset about new revelations and the re, uh, um, how these footnotes were redacted and now they're unredacted thanks to Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson now being reported. So what is my question now? And I think that's the question of a lot of people. So what? None of this matters unless people are charged and prosecuted, go to trial and have to answer questions about their criminal corruption related to this whole fiasco, right? So we can do all the reporting, all the columns can be written, we can all be upset, talk about Comey and Christopher Steele and the FBI and, you know, the FISA court, what they did to Carter Page, et cetera. But until we start seeing indictments, I'm sorry. And maybe I'm just overly cynical from. Yeah, no, you're right to be cynical. I mean, we have no reason to think this will be taken seriously. Um, it's almost like a big vanity project where like, oh, look, we were right. And then it's like, okay, shut up, move on. We've got other things to talk about. So you're right. Right. So then what? I mean, you know, you see Bill Barr's interview. Um, obviously, this is something he feels very passionately about and he has from the beginning. Um, John Durham, whose investigation opened, I believe it was a year ago this month. Um, there seems to be some ramblings about grand jury Um, subpoenas, et cetera, that he's making progress, still targeting John Brennan. Um, But look, this is this has been going on for a year. And what's even more disheartening is that some of the criminal referrals made to the Department of Justice have been they've declined to prosecute. Now, maybe someone who's more optimistic would think, well, because we're going to wait for the Durham indictments to come down, a cynic skeptic might say, no, because none of these people ultimately will be held responsible for any of this. Well, we've been told that for like three years. Just you wait, right? Yeah. Like, just wait. It's coming. It's 14 more days, Julie. It's 14 more days until they're going to they're gonna really turn up the heat or the indictments are going to come out. So it's, it's, it's unfortunate that this w- broke, the story broke in the middle of this national pande- pandemic where everybody's only focusing on that. And not that they would necessarily focus on it if there wasn't, because it doesn't speak well to their, it's kind of like the nail in the coffin to their uh, Trump's a Russian spy thing. Um, but right. it, who I don't know. I mean, I guess Durham's still working. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm not particularly right. optimistic, but, you know. No. So uh, there's that for people who want it to check out. Check that out. Catherine Harwich has a lot of good reporting. Yeah. Margot has a piece up today at The Federalist. I I don't think we have anything up yet. I assume some of our other um, reporters will be on that, too. So that's one more part. But getting back to Joe Biden, as we said, now we now know that they will do nothing to they will stop at nothing to stop Trump, sabotage him, destroy him. Um, I'm just reading now for our conversation about the DNC. I see that. Uh, Terry McAuliffe, who, for full disclosure, is is a friend, family friend of ours, um, and someone I actually like, but who knows what's going on in Democratic politics, is saying that um, it's very unlikely there will be a convention, Democratic convention in Milwaukee this year. So that just came across the wire this morning. Yep. So there's that. 
So um, they have a highly damaged candidate in Joe Biden, someone who obviously is suffering from mental decline. Um, well, I mean, he is. No, he it's is. Almost, it's painful to watch his little clips. He had a Morning Joe thing either today. I think it was yesterday that it's hardly watchable. Um, and so they have to figure out how they're going to get him across the finish line in November. So then the left, who he's already made all kinds of overtures to, we saw that with his little tay-to-tay with, uh, not tay-to-tay, but his kumbaya with Bernie Sanders this week. He called it COVID-9 yesterday. No, he did. He called it COVID-9. I'm surprised he got even one of the digits right. I don't know what to say. Like, I I, I don't... I think the convention being canceled isn't surprising. What will be very interesting is to see how they weasel getting him out of debates because that is going to be, I mean, you can even control him at a convention. All he has to do is read the teleprompter. Like he read with his, like, let's have, you know, a beer summit with Bernie Sanders where he was clearly reading off a cue card or something, but, but you cannot, what are you going to do with Joe Biden in a debate? I mean, I I don't know. Right. I don't know. I I don't know. So it's going I mean, it's going to be none of this is going away anytime soon. Right. This is only going to escalate the protection of Joe Biden and the Democrats, their attempts to hijack the election for both president and statewide offices in November will continue to be ramped up. And uh, I mean, this is a huge battle on many fronts. And unfortunately, I just don't see a lot of people on our side have the stomach or fortitude to take it to continue or take it it on. It's exhausting. (laughs) It really is. It It never ends. Yeah. I mean, this is like Gate, the Mueller thing and impeachment all wrapped up in one times a thousand. Yes, absolutely. Amazing. Well, you know. What do it's, we have? Yeah, on that <clears throat> happy, positive <laughs> affirmation that we're selling, um, we will see. We will be back next week. Um, cheery as ever, right, Julie? <laughs> cheery. Happy, happy. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next Friday. Please subscribe. You can subscribe to our podcast or follow us on Twitter. If you are listening to this, that's how you probably found us. Um, You can find us on Twitter. And have a great week. And remember to wash your hands and don't go try and have a picnic. (laughs) Or Liz will. uh, will I'll call the the social distancing police on you. (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week. 